Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about Crunch Chocolate Bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy, munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with Crunch. Hello and welcome to episode 224 of What Most People Think. And oh my gosh, there has been a lot of news since the last episode went up, man. Only a week ago, it's been it's been a gangbang of news, isn't it? It's been a bukaki of news. It's been a news khaki. It's been a news khaki. And we had the big hoo-ha, the COVID inquiry. We've got ongoing protests. So I'll be speaking about all of those things this week. So it is a solo episode, but don't drop me out. I know some of you don't do the solo episodes, but as a sweetener, as a sweetener, I've included two free chapters this week of my book, The British Bloke Decoded. Decoded? Maybe that's uh, subliminal. That just sounds like a, a book of nudes, doesn't it? The British bloke decoded everything from banter to man flu. Finally explained, and I've included a couple of chapters. Well, there's going to be one free chapter in the main podcast, and obviously the patrons, you'll get that extra chapter. So, interesting week last week, touring. I did shows on Thursday. Last Thursday, I did a show in Maidenhead, and my God, they were on it in the first half, like Maidenhead. I've often done shows there at the weekend, and the first half, they're often strangely muted. It's a bit of a staring contest, the first half. I don't know why, man. Maybe it was working from home Thursday. That's what it was. Working from home Thursday, that's their night of drinking, isn't it? Because none of them were going anywhere on a Friday, so they were smashing through a bottle of Pinot Noir. I did Friday, first ever tour show in Salisbury. What a nice place. I would say this, and I mean this with love, it was the highest average age probably for any tour show I've ever done, but they're really cool. Sometimes with the higher age crowd, they can be a little bit small C conservative where I guess maybe the appeal of me as a comic is offset by the fact that they probably, well, they'd just rather it if Miles Jupp was a Tory, wouldn't they? But um, this crowd were really cool and my support act, John Cogan, he did some quite ripe lines before me and they were cool with it. So it made for a great show. The following night I was in Monmouth, so what I did was I, I picked a travel lodge equidistant between Salisbury and Monmouth, and that was, of course, Swindon West. I spent a lot of time in Swindon. Swindon West, just for travel lodge fans out there, pretty new travel lodge, and it's got that beautiful new travel lodge smell. Is that even a thing? Has anyone ever said that before? It's solid, man. It's got um, car parking. Maybe I should just start reviewing travel lodges. That's probably what I'm missing. Every comic needs video content at the moment. I could be the travel lodge guy. And downstairs at this one, it's got a subway and it's got Starbucks. If it had a little Tesco Express, now you're talking. But I would like just some love off travel lodge. I'm every week and in my tour show, every single tour show, I'm spreading the word, man. You could upgrade me to one of those rooms that has a free Kit Kat. Because I'm a real person, you see. Not like all these comics that go on tour and just, you know, the ones that stay in the fancy hotels. The hotel divan pricks. New Patreons. So remember, being a Patreon now, you go on Patreon, you type in Jeff Norcott or what most people think and you get it. 
weekly ad no everyone gets it weekly you get it ad f- i need to get the slogan right for this don't i so the main things are that it's ad free i think that's what most people are looking for when they sign up for the patreon you get it early you get it anything up to a day early and you get extra content the way it would scan best would be to say early ad free and with extra stuff no that shit ad free you want to lead with ad free ad free early and with bonus content can you think of a better slogan than that what most people think uk at gmail.com some of you probably just sign in and say maybe stop fucking going on about it do a couple of new patrons now and a couple later katie judd that's a cool name that's how you sound like an actress you know one of these actors you know like no one's as famous as they used to be so once upon a time you had michelle pfeiffer and then you had megan fox and then you have some some woman called katie judd and you look at her and go well she's every bit as good at acting as pretty as the other ones but she just will never be as famous as a michelle pfeiffer so katie judd she's doing a lot of films these days i think she's a vip but she paid in a different currency so i'm not sure it might be that you're paying in like fucking north korean dollars <laughs> is that a thing one for david domain there i'm sure and we've also got miles gladson miles gladson sounds like potentially a, a former british prime minister was that gladstone miles gladson you do also sound like one of the young posse of new actors katie judd and miles gladson it would be katie judd and miles gladson in like a superhero film but one that was a i don't know was some sort of comment on uh capitalism <laughs> You know, it pisses me off that in films, when films are anti-capitalist, but they're also made by the biggest corporations. I think Goonies was a bit like that. Goonies was like, yeah, screw the big guy coming in. And then you see the distribution company going, well, you are the big guy, for fuck's sake. I'd like to see what the Goonies could have done with some serious corporate backing. <laughs> a lot of talent in that group there. I reckon all of those guys from the Goonies ended up working for property developers. But Katie Judd, Miles Gladson, and then I reckon there's a kind of actor name now that you get that's really cool. It always has like a kind of anglicised first name and then like a sort of exotic surname. So, for example, you could just create your own actress name by just picking a name like Poppy, right? So that sounds very English potentially. But then you give a surname, more Arabic sounding surname like Hassan. There you go. That is a really cool name, isn't it? Poppy Hassan and Billy... Desposito. <laughs> Wasn't that a song by Justin Bieber? Domain talking point. So David Domain says, I hope you're well. If you ever want an innuendo, I'll always give you one. There you go. That was a nice reference to last week's chat about innuendos. It was great to hear Chris McCausland on the podcast. Yeah, do listen to that if you haven't already. It was a really funny episode. And David Domain says that his wonders of the world I can't see with Lisa Tarbuck was excellent. I've heard lots of great things about that, actually. So I will check that out. In terms of the oldest presidents, Reagan was almost 78 when his term ended. Yeah, that's pretty old. It's older than I thought. Highest age for an outgoing president. Well, <laughs> records are about to be broke. This is followed by Trump, who was 74. Then Eisenhower, who was 70 when he left the White House. As for Bush Sr., he was 68. Oh, my God. He was an old 68, wasn't he? Oh, my God. What the fuck? Maybe he just realised that his son was a dickhead and that sort of accelerated the ageing process. The oldest ex-president ever is Jimmy Carter. Still alive. What? Still alive at 99. My God, Jimmy Carter. You know, like there are some people that you just miss the fact that they've died and then some people that you just presume are dead. I remember like um, when Vera Lynn died at the start of COVID, I was saying who's going to be this pandemic or this crisis is... Vera Lynn. And it turned out, for a little while at least, it was still Vera Lynn. 
Okay, a thank you and a fuck you. The thank you is to uh, the weather, because the fireworks night has just been and gone, and uh, it pissed down. And that was a great help to anybody that's a bit of a fireworks scrooge. My dog is 12 and a half now. She's falling apart at the seam. She just can't deal with it. You know, I mean, another fireworks night close by, she'd have been fucking shaking with shell shock like a character in a, in a Wilfred Owen poem. I mean, the only thing was it rained, so that might mean that all the kids that have got their fireworks that haven't been able to use would just spread them out over the course of the next week. But I did a tweet about it, and somebody mentioned that Rescue Remedy can be used for dogs. You know Rescue Remedy? They sell up boots and Superdrug, is that still a thing? Does that work, really? Is that just because it's got a little bit of booze in, though, is it? You just get your dog fucking hammered. And then your dogs end up going, I fucking love you, mate. I mean, your dogs are like that anyway. Dogs are just kind of born a little bit drunk, aren't they? Very loving, very tactile, probably too tactile, loud, gallivanting around the place and then just sleeping. The fuck you is to people that respond to my promo on Facebook. So every month I do promo for the remaining shows that have got tickets need selling. Uh, For example, at the moment in 2023, that is Aberdeen, Dundee and Manchester. Would love to see you there. And also push in 2024, because it's it's even more dates uh, for the spring leg. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is, I get so much abuse for it. It is like paid bondage. It's like BDSM. I just pay for people to insult me. Now, some just say Tory. They just put the word Tory like it's a warning. Just if you didn't know, this guy's a Tory, so uh, obviously you're not going to go now. That's how they think the world works. You know, they don't think that... Over the last 10, 13 years, probably maybe half of the adult voting public might have even voted Tory one way or another. Also, they might have family that do. They might just not give a shit or they might give a shit, but also want to hear what people who voted differently to them think. The truth is, is like I've slated the Tories loads over the last years. I publicly called on Question Time called out Boris Johnson, but I guess they just remember the first way that I came to their knowledge. So anyway, good for them. And then you get the knobheads, the knobheads doing their shitty jokes, going, I would have thought that there are enough comedians in the Tory party. You know, the Tory comedians, but I don't mean comedians, I mean like they're, they're, yeah, we get it, mate. We get it, well done. And it is annoying to me. Often the worst jokes will get the best responses, so you'll see like 15 likes. And then I just think of this dickhead just boring his wife shitless all Sunday, going, you know the comment I made about that comedian? Darling, 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 you know the comment I made about, that's got 15 likes now. And she's just going, yeah, this is why I'm banging my tennis instructor. And then you get the Stuart Lee fan. Now, the Stuart Lee fan, there's a lot of guys like this. They're basically in their early 50s, and they've got an incredible sense of moral and intellectual certainty. They often say things like, well, yeah, I would love to hear this show because they're doing a bit of misdirection. Well, hang on, where's this going? If you like hearing jokes about poverty, disabled people, food banks, and the NHS being destroyed. Now, I would say... And I've said this before, if I could make jokes about poverty, disabled people and food banks and the NHS being destroyed, I would be one of the greatest comedians that's ever lived. I just don't know how you make those things funny. What they really want to do is just remind you that those are things that they care about and that they think have happened. And it's my fault because I voted for a party. And if we just had an unbroken Labour government. Since this is what I sometimes wonder about people that are so anti-Tories. No, fair enough, they want to vote Labour now and they want to get the Tories out and they're not alone. There's a lot of Conservative voters that sort of think that way too. I just wonder if they concede that there was ever a time in history when it was okay to have voted Conservative or if they sort of think that basically it should have been an unbroken Labour government since the war. 
That's what they seem to think, doesn't it? You know, like, or the, yeah, we definitely should have voted for Gordon Brown's absolutely knackered administration in 2010. And oh my God, if we just had Ed Miliband and Ed Balls, there wouldn't even be war in the Middle East. Okay, so like I say, three bits of the book coming up. But first up, we're going to talk about the last week of the COVID inquiry. So, no sooner had I posted last week's episode than it all kicked off at the COVID inquiry, mainly because there were some high-profile figures. So first up, we had Lee Kane. Lee Kane, who just, I don't know about this guy, what was he, head of staff, something. Anyway, he was a sort of Boris acolyte, and his name kind of sounds like the kid that didn't quite make it to the end of year 11. You know, Lee Kane was always running around. In the end, he just came back in to do his GCSEs, dressed in his civvies. He was sort of tried to toe the Boris line a little bit, but he basically said that this crisis was not suited to this prime minister sort of thing, you know, which is a kind of a mate's way of saying, yeah, he didn't really fucking cope. But then that was only really an appetit for Dominic Cummings, who really savoured this. I mean, Dominic Cummings, who let's remind ourselves, doesn't care what anyone thinks. Well, for a guy that doesn't care what anybody else thinks, he seems to spend a lot of time telling everyone how right he was. He's the king of the world, Cummings now. It's a very strange situation where people who formerly thought he was an idiot and a liar, the biggest liar in Britain when he drove to Barnard Castle, are now sort of automatically crediting every single thing he says. I find it odd. It's just because it's in the hierarchy of things that piss them off. Is that essentially Boris Johnson kind of hurt their feelings more often and more importantly than Dominic Cummings. So therefore, they'll side with Dominic Cummings because, you know, it's just the lesser of two evils, really. And these texts between him and various people that were part of the sort of senior team responding to COVID, you know, the fact that there are people that agreed with him is seen as evidence of the fact that he was correct. I mean, look, if I was mugging off someone, I'd tend to do it with people who I knew might agree back on a WhatsApp group, you know. But look, the image does appear to emerge of Boris Johnson being indecisive. What they call him, the trolley, because he kept changing direction. I mean, that's, that's a good nickname. I've got to say, there was some funny insults in and among this. Actually, one thing is the swearing as well, because they were sort of carrying the Cummings testimony live. On Radio 5 Live, it was hilarious. They had to keep coming back in every every time there was a swear word, just to say, just to remind you, these, this is the... COVID inquiry live and there will be some fairly and they just didn't know how to describe the language when actually what they should have been doing is saying look stay tuned it's going to keep coming Dominic Cummings is here there's going to be swear words which makes you think Jesus Christ if there had been WhatsApp during the time of Alastair Campbell if you think that this was an aggressive macho workplace my god did that man get away with having existed within a different technological time so among Cummings's uh, testimony is this moment where he is uses language about Helen McNamara. He talks about wanting to handcuff her and take her out of the building. I mean, like, just in any work context, that is not an appropriate way to speak about a colleague, especially if it's a female colleague, so there are connotations. And then he, there's this bit where he said, he was obviously finding her difficult to work with, and he said, I'd rather that than spending time dodging stilettos from that, you know, cunt. And then obviously at the moment that came out, I thought, here we go, right? The media are going to jump on this. And obviously this is not like he said himself, like he regretted the language. Of course he does. And of course he should. But you're sort of thinking, and he was right about one thing, is that was a singular use of language between one person and another. And this is supposed to be, this inquiry is supposed to be about how the British state coped. So there's these three elements to it, which is the machine at the heart of government. Well, there's actually four because there's the elected politicians, there's ministers and prime ministers, and then there's staffers, then there's the civil service, the ones that are still going to be there afterwards. 
and then there's the public health officials. But it just feels like, from the media's point of view, because they sort of broadly agreed with a lot of stuff that ended up happening, and that, you know there'll be arguments about whether it should have happened a week earlier. They really are just looking for hits on the usual villains, in a way. It's kind of become like the retrial of Boris Johnson. A lot of the media coverage then moved to what was the toxic environment working at Westminster. And it's not irrelevant. Of course it's relevant. But that just seems to take precedence over everything at the moment. A bit of toxicity between a few people is bigger than the point of the inquiry, which is to work out how the British instruments of state actually responded to a crisis. What Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. A lot of last week was about, it was bad for the government, it's bad for the Conservative Party, and we had on social media a lot of people using this as to do their pet thing, which is just to say, well done to everybody that voted Conservative. Oh, can we just have a slow hand clap? For everybody that voted for this buffoon, look, it just doesn't work for me. Because one, they need people that voted Conservative in the last election to vote Labour. And one thing that could put your back up is loads of sanctimonious bellends on Twitter, like trying to get a rise out of you. The other thing is, is when I look back, I've got to be honest, there is no part of me that sits there regretting the fact, thinking, oh God, if from 2019 onwards, if we just had Jeremy Corbyn, everything would have been fine. You know, with Labour's excellent plan to do with Brexit, which was... What was it? Which was to get a new deal and then campaign against the deal that they'd won? Do I really think? Let's just war game this. Corbyn, John McDonnell, Diane Abbott and Emily Thornberry. Do I really see a powerhouse politically that would have dealt with COVID better overall? Mm, not really. They, they might have locked down sooner and for a lot longer. Might have. You know, if you are somebody that thinks the vaccine was a positive thing, would they have done the work with the private sector? Old Jeremy, fuck big pharma, um, <laughs> Corbyn, not seeing it. And then, you know, the Ukraine war breaks out. So we got Corbyn there, the guy that thought that Russia should have been the people that were present at the inquiry into what happened in the Salisbury poisonings. You know, one of those teachers that says, ah, mark your own homework. And then, of course, with what's happened in Israel, do I really think that a guy there would say, are friends in Hamas? No, not really, not really. So you've just got to be realistic. There's no point in beating up on the Conservative voters of 2019 because the truth is a lot of them will look back at that choice and go, faced with what I had, the deeply flawed character that was Boris Johnson and the machinery around Jeremy Corbyn, I'd probably make the same decision again. Of course, this gave rise to, I mean, a lot of certain mainstream media outlets were kind of salivating at this because Boris is always box office he always will be and look he was prime minister at the time but let's have some objective reporting about what's happening here I mean like there were some things that were missed as well is that the perception for a long time was that Boris's non-engagement with Covid in the early stage was a choice that he'd taken like that he'd stayed on holiday against advice when actually what comes out is a lot of them were trying to keep him away from the decision making process and a lot he asked if he should come back off holiday and they said no 
you got this issue where Sage, it turns out Sage were the ones that said that big events should keep going ahead, things like Cheltenham Festival. That's not really how the sort of technocrats and the pro-medical establishment people would look at it. And that's part of the wider problem of this, is that the media really haven't shown it any attention at all until it became the sort of retrial of Boris Johnson, until it became someone else calling someone else fuckpigs or dickheads or morons. I mean, it's just so puerile, isn't it? These are our national terrestrial news broadcasters. These are the big dogs of how we consume our news. And the, the only point that they've really got on board with this inquiry is when people started calling each other cunts. Okay, we're going to talk about the pro-Palestinian, anti-war, anti-Israel in a lot of cases, anti-Jewish in some cases, protests that have been happening in London since immediately after the October the 7th attacks, which must have been, I mean, I still think it must have been a mindfuck for London's Jewish community. I mean, I know the vast majority weren't celebrating, but some were. And that's the point in a way, is that a lot of coverage, you know, particularly mainstream media outlets have to sort of qualify that mostly peaceful, mostly law-abiding, and all of that stuff they're obliged to do, and obviously quite keen to do. But I don't, in some cases, care, because my point is, in one case, there was uh, propaganda I've seen from some of these protests, which literally was a sort of rehash of something that had been shown to be from the National Front in Britain from the 80s, right? Something anti-Semitic from the National Front. It's like a singer doing a cover version. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? you got to look at who you're doing a cover version of. And the National Front, that's the sort of protest equivalent of doing a cover version of a Gary Glitter song. And there's a lot of moral certainty when people are doing these things, whether it's kind of anti-Semitic propaganda or whether it's this unbelievably entitled and heartless thing of taking down these posters, I sort of think, why are they so certain about it, right? And I think that maybe, ideologically, a lot of this stuff is the perfect storm for a certain kind of progressive young person, right? It's very clear that to them, on one side, you've got the West Israel, white people, bankers in their minds, and the other side, you have uh, an oppressed people and you have Muslims. and, And, you know, it's a very simple outcome, which often makes them think that this is one big community against a single aggressor in their minds. But it's not as simple as that, right? There was an incredible clip whereby there was a guy in a mask, as usual, as these brave lads often have, and he was pointing out to a group of girls that there was a guy nearby that was sort of dealing in what he thought was anti-trans rhetoric, and he was pointing it out to these young girls because they were young and they were girls and they had Palestinian flags. And he was like, you know, this guy over here, he's saying that, you know, people shouldn't like change their gender and identity. And these girls were like, no, 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 we agree with him. <laughs> what a fucking ideological custard pie to the face that was. And that's the point, isn't it? You can have like queers for Palestine. You can be pro the movement, but don't be naive enough to think that like there'll be some sort of osmosis whereby the identity issues that you hold dear will also matter to them. It doesn't quite work like that. And it's been interesting, you know, this conflict. A lot of people have, it's often pulled out that actually, do you know that in the Middle East, you know, in Israel, like it's Britain that made uh, homosexuality illegal in 1948. And you go, all right, well, yeah, I don't doubt that, okay? But what are you implying? Are you saying that if Britain hadn't brought in that law then, that part of the world would just be like fucking Brighton? (laughs) The protest crowd, certainly in the worst example videos that I see. And like I say, I'm not saying this is majority. I don't fucking know. You see a video and often there's a mistake of thinking that counts for everything that's happening. Well, the point is, I'm just interested in what I have seen and what it says about a certain kind of young person. 
And their drug is feeling morally superior, isn't it? And you see this where there was a clip of a guy releasing mice into McDonald's in the colours of the Palestinian flag. Now, I think in the all history of Middle Eastern uprisings, this doesn't really count as among the most glorious, does it? I mean, like this guy, I don't know. It's just, it just looks like a practical joke, mate. It looks like you're taking a very serious issue and turning it into like TikTok content. Did you think, like, if you're kind of in, in awe of, like, the fighters in Hamas, do you think that they would respect you for that? God, oh, no, no, forget sort of digging another tunnel underneath a hospital. Look at one of our comrades over in London and stuff. He went into fucking McDonald's in Neeston. <laughs> and he released some coloured mice. I mean, fucking hell, if you stop and think about this, lad, it gets ever more pathetic. This lad painstakingly painting all these mice, just thinking, ah, oh, for the glory of the movement... And how many times he must have got bitten and how many times the mice must have shat in his hands. Just people, just people of every colour and every belief. They're all sitting there in McDonald's, just trying to have a little McDonald's, you know. They're not, and then they get some fucking mice running around. They must have thought, what is going on? Now I've seen videos outside KFC as well. In fairness, Colonel Sanders, he does look like a racist at least. Most people think. And then, you know, there's this issue of ceasefire. Now, I said in last week's episode, I, maybe I didn't make it fully clear, but I was not criticising Keir Starmer for thinking that you shouldn't call for a ceasefire. What are the things I was criticising last week was I was saying that he should have rode back on what he said about a siege. I thought he showed a bit of arrogance and hubris about that. And also, I was wondering if he'd needed to make such a big play of his own stance, if you're just thinking cynically, politically. Now, if he's doing this because he thinks this is the right thing to do, Fair enough, and maybe it's worked out all right for him because it has exposed like the unrealistic nature of some of his party, some of his local councils, right? Ceasefire when Hamas have basically said, yeah, we're, we're not up for this. I sometimes think when I hear people say ceasefire, what they really mean is make the bad things stop. And I understand that feeling. It's a very easy feeling, isn't it? It's just make the bad things stop. I don't want to think about this anymore. I don't want to see these sad headlines or this sad footage. And maybe it's reassuring to even think that the Western nations could make this happen, right? Or, or a combination of the Arab countries around about the area. Like, if somebody just pushed the ceasefire button, it could all stop. But that just doesn't seem like a possibility right now. So realistically, from Starmer's point of view, what is the point in calling for something that just can't happen? And then there are people who are completely unrealistic about what's possible. People go, Keir Starmer, resign. What? Sorry, you think after Labour had been out of power for 13 years, this bloke's got a 20-point poll lead. And over a single issue of foreign policy, and he's not even prime minister, he's just going to go, you know what, you're right. I'm going to resign. I'm going to resign. It might even be just seven months before I'm in number 10. But just when you're wrong, you're wrong. <laughs> and it's just not realistic, is it? So why say things that aren't realistic? Why say ceasefire if it can't happen? Why say Keir Starmer resign if it can't happen? And I'll just say one final point is that, you know, this Sunday coming up is Armistice Day and there is a pro-Palestinian march planned. I've chilled out a lot these days, but I've got to be honest, that went up my arse sideways. <laughs> that phrase is weird, isn't it? It's not a very old-fashioned phrase, but it also admits that there's like a correct way of something going up your ass. <laughs> Dirty bastards from the old days. Is that I sort of think that there are 364 days of the year where you could protest for something. I think the, the day where, for me, where I sort of think about the fact my granddad, a very calm man, very nice gentleman, had to pick up a gun and go and fight in a war, I quite like 
that day to just be respected. And I know that the organisers have said, no, we're not going to do it while that's happening and it's going to be in a different location. Good luck, because from what I've seen is there are, shall we say, there are factions within your protest movement that might not respect your views on that. Look, I don't want to end on too negative a note, but... I worry. I do worry because if I've got strong feelings on that subject, there'll be people with much stronger feelings than me. All right, just before we have our little listen-along story time with Uncle Jeff, just another couple of um, new patrons. Jamie, just Jamie on his own. Jamie on his own. So who does Jamie work for? I think Jamie is an overworked primary school teacher who went into primary school work saying this is what a feminist looks like and now just cannot stand the company of women. Richard Ledge, what an amazing... Is that your actual surname or is that just your... You've just decided to start calling yourself by the nickname... On your stag do t-shirt. Just a quick one on tour dates. So the Solihull date next year is having to move, I'm afraid. They've got that thing. Remember the concrete thing? God, those were the days, weren't they? When crumbling concrete was the biggest story. I'd fucking take that over what's happening in Israel. That's having to move to Bromsgrove. And I know that people who live in Solihull, that I know that that is not like close, but that is the only venue around that could take it on that date. And I hope that you can switch and get yourself to that venue. And also just a reminder, the Dublin date has moved. I, I don't know. I had a message from somebody this week who seems to suggest that the promoter hadn't reached out, but that is now at the Sugar Club in Dublin on the 11th of April. And just to shout out a few tour shows I'm doing, 27th of January, the Guildhall Centre, Kings Lynn. That was a nice confident pitch there. 2nd of February in Tring. The 8th of February in Stroud. A lot of these are new dates or recent dates anyway. The 9th of February in Grimsby. First ever tour date in Grimsby. Mansfield Palace Theatre. That is such a glamorous name. Look, no disrespect to Mansfield, but the Mansfield Palace Theatre. Well, look, my hopes are high, Mansfield Palace Theatre. I'm looking forward to that. It sounds... There's nothing more show busy than a night at the Mansfield Palace Theatre. Some people... Call it the Madison Square Gardens of the East Midlands. Okay, right. So we're going to have a couple of chapters from the audiobook of The British Bloke Decoded. Everything from banter to man flu finally explained. So the main podcast, you're going to hear the chapter defining what is a bloke. And then Patreon only, you're going to get a bonus chapter, which you will, well, which you will hear shortly. But I hope you enjoy it. What is a bloke? I've already had a couple of tentative stabs, but let's try and properly define what a bloke is. No one can agree where the word even came from. It was first recorded in 1851 by Henry Mayhew, the journalist who revealed the plight of London's poor to an indifferent Victorian nation. He said bloke was replacing chap as the preferred slang for any male. But the origin of that word is obscure. It could come from an Irish dialect word meaning likeable man, it could also come from the Dutch word block, which means fall, as in blockhead. I think the modern meaning might fall somewhere between the two. What a bloke definitely isn't is a geezer or a lad. To the untrained eye, they may appear the same, but they absolutely aren't. The word bloke is usually accompanied by an adjective prefix, which is often positive. Decent bloke, good bloke, nice bloke. Although there is an unwritten law that if you want to tell the world a man makes you laugh, then he is deemed to be a funny fella. Geezers and lads don't get adjectives because their species is generally less complicated. Geezers and lads are the aardvarks and zebras of the male world. There are quite a lot of them, but they're easy to spot and narrow in range. 
Blokes are otters and apes in that they're numerous, come in many different types and generally have a good temperament, so long as you don't steal their fish or bananas. The bloke is also quintessentially British, not as in wearing a top hat to work like Jacob Rees-Mogg or a kilt to weddings like that half Scottish bloke at work, but as in they don't really exist anywhere else in the world. Germany may have de curl, Italy may be full of ragazzi, and France can claim le type. But bloke, and all that implies, belongs fully to these islands. I am willing to accept that Australia has a whiff of blokiness about the place, but they're 20 years behind us, so haven't fully developed yet. And that sort of comment, cheeky but basically affectionate, is classically blokey. The bloke is also more emotionally complex than the alpha, geezer or lad. He is the dependable rank and file of the male species. The standard husband, father, uncle and brother who tries his best but doesn't have that much agency in his own life. Certainly when it comes to deciding how the house is decorated or what events will occupy the family calendar. It's a state of mind which usually occurs at a more senior stage of life. Once you've had some of the headier dreams either kicked out of you or have willingly relinquished them for a quiet life. It's a mindset which descends once you realise your main role isn't to thrust and conquer but to be a steady and dependable presence for those you love and to carry heavy things. Blokes are inoffensive, pliable, dependable and calm, but also a bit shit at retaining any information about the people they're closest to. A bloke knows the value of a pub quiz and the exact combination of alcohol and roast dinner which will result in a 40-minute nap. Though blokery is usually an older man's game, it's a mindset which could evolve at any age. I've had plenty of mates who were already wearing metaphorical cardigans and slippers during their GCSEs. I had a pal in year 11 who bought a pack of biscuits to school with him every day and used to have a nap at break time. We didn't know whether to call him Hobnob or the cat because he could sleep anywhere. On reflection, we should probably have advised him to get checked for diabetes. Blokes are simple and yet some of our behaviour is so utterly daft and paradoxical you have to wonder if everything is as straightforward as it seems. It's tricky though because societally we're encouraged to think of blokes as basic creatures. For a long time, adverts have portrayed the woman as thrifty and resourceful, while the man was either confused, lazy or falling over in the background. In any sitcom you've ever seen, the dad is the comical figure. Why? Because he's a bloke, and becoming a father in itself involves a fairly cataclysmic status drop. We may be hard to define, but there are certain things which characterise the British bloke. One is that they're generally fairly content, happy with just being. Give a bloke a dressing gown, some twiglets and an obscure Bundesliga football match and he could sit happily for hours. He's genetically designed to find salvation in menial tasks. As children, boys will happily go to the beach only to ignore the majesty of the ocean or the beauty of the sunset and simply dig a hole. Even at that tender young age, he's just looking for a bit of peace and quiet. If you see a man drinking a pint in an airport pub alone, that's a bloke. If you see a man driving to the tip on a Saturday morning with a smile on his face, that's a bloke. And if you see a man heading back from the tip and on the way to the pub, that's a very happy bloke. The bloke doesn't like a fuss. The bloke is curious about the world and occasionally baffled by it. The bloke remains in touch with his inner child and retains a certain boyishness which can be wrongly interpreted as immaturity. Blokes will often suppress emotions only for them to show up in the oddest places. For example, it's okay to get a bit misty-eyed when watching the repair shop. The average bloke will be a tear-soaked mess as he watches a 95-year-old woman collect the newly fixed clogs that her dead husband walked across Belgium in during the war. We tend to let our emotions out in massive bursts. We keep it all in, then binge on a big box set of feelings. 
Whether that's when someone scores at the football, someone undertakes you on the motorway, or when Blackadder asks his fellow soldiers to go over the top. Blokes also have a tendency to be nostalgic, or rather they don't so much yearn for the past, as they want the future to slow down a bit and stop hurtling at them like a flying brick. Similarly, every bloke thinks that the younger generation has gone soft. We'll forever lament the fact the young lads today can't even bleed a radiator or navigate without GPS. But my dad would despair that I couldn't change the oil on my own car, and his great-granddad would despair that my dad bought meat in a butcher's rather than killed the animal with his bare hands. The real bloke is always on the verge of giving up on modern football, as each week brings further proof that the game is gone. Luckily, he never actually will give up on modern football because, you know, his dad took him to his first game and he cherishes those smoky memories of angry beard-up men shouting sexual obscenities at the referee before leaving him outside a pub with a packet of crisps for three hours. Despite how it sounds, these are happy memories. Like I keep saying about this whole bloke thing, it's a lot more complicated than it seems. Okay, so there you was, a little bit of free content there. I hope that that prompts you to either buy the book, go on Amazon or Waterstones or anything, and buy the book, or, or if you've got an Audible credit, understand if you have an account, you get one free credit each month, you could use that up. But you can also, I think you can stream it on Spotify. You can also um, get it on iTunes or any of those places. So I hope you uh, buy the book and leave a five-star review, please. I'm always asking for five-star reviews. Speaking of which... Thank you for all the feedback for the podcast. If you leave a five-star review on iTunes, I will read it out. This is from the Shropshire Foxer. Five stars. Not too shabby. Been following Jeff for a couple of years. He's like that lad at the bar who's already two or three in before you you arrived. Good for a laugh, but you're always relieved when his missus beeps her horn in the car park to tell him it's time to go. Awesome. This is from Wolves. Black country. This is black country. You have to be really educated to believe the rubbish spouted by the social justice crew. We've gone back from woke to social justice. Okay. Fortunately, we have Jeff to act as a counterpoint. And he's funny. Thank you for that. Just nails it. Jeff says he comes from a right-leaning direction, which will be a red rag to a bull to some. But hang in there from his fascination with Penny Morden to his... I think there was a Penny reference last week. To his love of you 2 Jeff really is what most men of a certain age think. Yeah, I mean, like, you 2 It's become cool to dislike them. I'm just going to throw it out there. Greatest band ever, pound for pound, better than the Beatles, better than the Rolling Stones, better than fucking Coldplay. If you want to fight me... Email in whatmostpeoplethinkuk at gmail.com. But I'll tell you why. I never thought I'd get into a YouTube rant now. Longest unbroken lineup until the recent shows in Vegas. Most live tours, best live tours, most studio albums, most world-class studio albums. Come at me. Always engaging, The Sumo Guy. This is from The Sumo Guy. One of my favourite podcasts. Discusses serious topics in an engaging, entertaining way. His books ain't bad either. And trust me, this is our prayers coming from a northern Okay, there's somebody that's moaning about I read out the list of the Patreon names. You do understand that that is like a Patreon benefit. I know that there are more recently as we had an influx of new people, but there'll be a few less of those. But you know what I mean? It's one of the things that people pay for, believe it or not. People like to be roasted in the same way businessmen like to be spanked. Thank you for the five-star review of Gary Burgess. And this is from Kevsey. This pod is very good and funny. Jeff is, well, I'm almost starting to sound like Jeremy Fine. Jeff is well known for being right-wing comic, but I actually find he wants to hold all parties and politicians to account. Okay, well, thank you for all those five-star reviews. And listen, man, I hope that you have a good week. And I hope that the leftover fireworks don't leave your dog 
shaking like uh, well shaking like a shitting dog. 